Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. How about those nuggets, huh? And a boy from Kentucky shall lead them, right? Jamal Murray. Come on now, give me some love in the house. All right, you, you, you got to love Kentucky when it brings some joy to the state of Colorado. Did you know that we had 171 women in this room on Friday night? Can you give the Lord a hand, Pastor Jenny, her team? Isn't that awesome? Five people shared their story of how God has taken the ashes of their life and turned them into beauty. And I want to encourage you that if you've got some ashes with you in your life, like I do, keep bringing them to God because he wants to make something beautiful out of them. Amen? So next week, we are going to finish the book of Ezekiel. We're going to skip 47, <laughs> 47, 1 to 12. We're going to come back to that next week. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and Living Word, our Spanish-speaking sister church that meets here, we're going to do two joint services together next week. And we're going to talk about the healing river, the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to tie Acts 2 into Ezekiel 47. Well, today I just want to say that as we've gone through this Ezekiel series, for me personally, the imagery uh, that has been seen in this book that has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ in the New Testament is unparalleled in the Old Testament. Like it has been remarkable, it has been phenomenal to see. And today as we dive into Ezekiel 47 and 48, we're going to talk about the God of our future. That fear is not our future. That death is not our future. You may know that this week Tim Keller, a pretty well-known pastor from New York City, went to be with the Lord. And he said, and I quote, I am ready to meet Jesus. Amen? Amen? After three years of battling pancreatic cancer. Every one of us are going to meet God one day. And I don't know how you function, but I'll be 52 on Thursday. And so I did the math, Tim's 72. I said, okay, Lord, if I live as long as Sam, I got two decades to go. What am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? See, life is so short. It is so brief. And as we live it, we've got to decide not just what we're living for, but more importantly, who we're living for. Amen? And so today I want to invite you to take your Bible, your internet device, 
And I want to invite you to join me in Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 13. I also want to welcome everybody that's watching online. Thank you for joining in this morning. I want to invite you to share the service today, to be a virtual evangelist and invite others into this space. And we're going to answer this question today. How is the God of the Bible the God of our future? How is the God of the Bible the God of our future? And in part of the message today, I'm going to take you back to May 2014, which is almost 10 years ago, when I toured Israel and I toured the Holy Land. And I'm going to show you some things from this passage today through video, through pictures that I learned and experienced while I was there. Look at Ezekiel 47, 13. Now, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Divide the land in this way for the 12 tribes of Israel. The descendants of Joseph will be given, somebody say it, how many? Come on, say it louder. Two shares. They'll be given two shares of land. Otherwise, each tribe, there's 12 tribes, Jacob had 12 sons. Otherwise, each tribe will receive an equal share. So I took a solemn oath and swore that I would give this land to your ancestors and it will now come to you as your possession. Here's what you need to know about God. If God promises you something, he will do it. If God promises you something, he will do it. So in your life, regardless of how long ago it has been, if God has made a promise to you or your ancestors, we'll see today, God wants you to know you can trust his word. He's going to do it. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to bring it about. Now, why did Joseph's descendants get two shares? Well, this goes back to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 34. When Moses was dividing up the land, God told Moses to promise to Joseph that both sons would be blessed. Now, why is that? We call this double blessed, double favor. And there are moments in our lives when God is going to impart to you double favor. God's not just going to bless your life, but he's going to bless your life on top of blessing your life. And you're going to think to yourself, what is going on? And people around you are going to be tempted to be jealous of the double blessings that God pours out on your life because they're going to look at you and go, well, why does God love him? Why does God love her so much? Why does God favor that individual so much? And I want you to understand something. God never forgets your faithfulness to him. And Joseph told a dream to his own biological family and they hated him for it, so much so that they wanted to murder him. And yet one of his brothers convinced them, do not do this. 
And so they sold him into slavery where he went to Egypt, where he was falsely accused, where he ended up in prison. And this took from the time he was sold to the time that he became second in command, he went from 17 years of age to 40 years of age, 23 years of his life. Do you ever look at your life after being faithful to God and say, God, you seem to be wasting my time? Jonathan, you asked me this morning, what's the hardest thing about your week this week? And I said, waiting on God to do what he said he's going to do. So pray for me that I will wait on God for God to do what he promised me he would do. How about you? And I ask you to do that for me. Pray that for me. Pray that I will wait because Isaiah 40 says that those who wait upon the Lord receive fresh, receive new strength from the Father. And so if you are waiting on God for something in your life, you need to stop and say, God, I will keep waiting. Will you send fresh strength? So you may not know this. Our staff is tired this morning. They've all got that, I've done a lot of ministry lately look on their faces. You go, really? Yes, I know it because I know what that feels like. And I cannot, I cannot tell you how proud I am of our Vanguard staff. I mean, all the way back to Mother's Day last week, to Wednesday night, family night, to Friday night, the women's event, to what's coming Saturday with our student ministry. Like, this is that moment where we're pushing as a staff. And I'm saying to our staff, when we get to June 30th, take a break. We need to rest. We need to get rejuvenated. So we have a few more weeks to push, and we want to do these significant things for the Lord. And in order to do that, we've got to wait on him, and he's got to give us fresh strength. Pastor Donnell is in T6 right now with crutches because, as she said, I guess the spiritual warfare got me, uh, and she's dealing with things physically. You cannot serve the Lord and it not affect you physically. You cannot give yourself to God and it not impact you emotionally. And you have to understand that as you give out of who God has created you to be, there's going to be these moments when you're going to feel abandoned like Joseph. You're going to feel imprisoned like Joseph. You're going to feel falsely accused like Joseph. And guess what God is doing? He's up in heaven keeping a record of your faithfulness to him because he is going to give you double favor for your faithfulness. Amen? And so I want you to say to the Lord today, wherever in your life you think God doesn't see, I want you to say, Lord, I look forward to double favor here and here and here and here. And God wants you to know that you cannot, just like you can't sin and him not know it, okay? You can't be faithful and him not know it. And so wherever in your life that you're faithful, invite God into that. Invite God into that. God sees and God always rewards. Now, can you imagine generations to come being doubly blessed because of your faithfulness now? Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that an incredible thought? See, I had a great-great-grandfather who kept a journal and said, I pray that one of my sons would be a pastor one day. God didn't answer that prayer. I'm one of the answers to that prayer. And see, whatever you faithfully do right now, God hasn't stopped listening. God hasn't stopped listening to you even though you're wondering, how long, God? How long, God? How long, God? And even Jesus Christ himself said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. So how is the God of the Bible the God of our future? Number one, he doubly blesses others in the future through our faithfulness to him now. He doubly blesses others in the future through our faithfulness to him now. Talk about a kind God. Talk about a good God. Now look at verse 15. These are the boundaries of the land. The northern border, stay with me on this because it'll feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. Stay with me. The northern border will run from the Mediterranean toward Hethlon. How many people have ever seen the Mediterranean? Can I see your hands? Okay. Beautiful, beautiful body of water. Gorgeous body of water. Runs from the Mediterranean toward Hethlon, then on through Lebo, Hamath to Zedad. Then it'll run to Beretha and Sibrium, which are on the border between Damascus and Hamath. And finally to Hazer on the border of Haram. So the northern, northern border will run from the Mediterranean on the border between Hamath to the north and Damascus to the south. The eastern border starts at a point between Haran and Damascus and runs south along the Jordan River between Israel and Gilead, past the Dead Sea, and as far south as Tamar, this will be the eastern border. Now, the southern border is going to go west from Tamar to the waters of Meribah Kadesh, and then follow the course of the brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. This will be the southern border. On the west side, the Mediterranean itself will be your border. From the southern border to the point where the northern border begins opposite Lebo. I said, stay with me, okay? (laughs) So this was Ezekiel's vision describing the boundaries of a restored Israel. Now, these boundaries, these physical symbols represented God's faithfulness to Israel. Every blade of grass in your yard, every drop of water uh, in every tree that you own is God's symbol of his faithfulness to you. Now, whether or not you see yourself as an owner, whether or not you see yourself as deserving of more, you have to do business with God with that because that's not a good way to approach it. If you see yourself as a steward and everything that you have, even those things that may not be working correctly right now, if you see yourself as blessed by God through his faithfulness, you see everything as his favor to you. Look at verse 21. Now divide the land with these boundaries among the tribes of Israel. Distribute the land as an allotment for yourselves and for the foreigners who have joined you and are raising their families among you. They'll be like native-born Israelites to you and will receive an allotment among the tribes. Now, these foreigners are to be given land within the territory of the tribe with whom they now live. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. 
I want to stop there. God gave Ezekiel a vision that had only been true twice in the history of Israel's nation. And it was during the time of David, King David, and it was during the time of Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, that Israel swelled and had all of this particular territory and blessing. Now, this is a promise to be fulfilled finally. It's important for you to know this. Through the millennial kingdom, the thousand years, and if you uh, choose to see the end like I do, which you may not, okay, and by the way, it hasn't happened, so we can argue it over, but I am a pre or mid-tribber, what that means is I believe that the church, God's people, will be raptured either at the beginning or the middle of the tribulation. I'm not sure. I could go either way. The Antichrist will be revealed. He will reestablish the temple. Animal sacrifice will be returned, and he will try to present himself as the Antichrist. And then there'll be three and a half years of incredible tribulation, And then Jesus Christ will return with us and he will establish his kingdom for a thousand years. And this is where Isaiah read this morning in my devotion. This is where the lion and the lamb will lie down together. This is where the baby will play by the snake hole and won't get bit. And what God is telling Ezekiel is this vision will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That is the whole point of the book of Ezekiel. Everything that we have studied, from all the high and lofty visions to the boundaries and the divisions, the blessings and the favor, they come through Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. So what's the point? How is the God of the Bible, the God of our future? Number two, he fulfills his purpose in us, his promises to us, and prospers us through Jesus. I want to say that again. He fulfills his purpose in us, his promise to us, and prospers us through Jesus. Now listen to me. Some of us speak curses over our existence. You say, give me an example. Well, God's not ever going to bless my life. Well, it's always going to be like this. I'm going to always, you fill in the negative statement that you want to make. Do you realize the enemy doesn't have to do a lot to defeat you because you do his job for him? Right? When something negative is happening, I say to the Lord, can you give me a vision of what's coming? And sometimes, as I said a couple of weeks ago, sometimes you have to pull the tarp over you and take the rain, all right? The beating, the hail that falls from the sky, the rocks that pale your existence. But then there comes a point, while you're under that tarp, you've got to say to the Lord, show me a vision of the good that's going to come from this. Give me something to work toward. Give me a promise. Give me a hope of my future. Amen? Let me see that, God. Give me vision for that. 
Let me feel that, God. Let me feel that in my, in my chest and in my gut. Even if I have no feeling at all, give me fresh strength to wait on you in this tumultuous moment. Instead of, uh, instead of speaking these curses over your life and over your family, I want to challenge you to say, God can do something about that. God can change that. God, you can speak to that. God, you can move that. God, you can raise us out of the valley. You can lower that mountain. Amen? Amen. And so where in your life do you need to stop speaking curses over your life and over your family and over your marriage and start speaking visions of life and asking God to speak? Amen? Sorry for my spitting there for a second. Look at Ezekiel 48.1. We come to the last chapter. Here's the list of the tribes of Israel and the territory each is to receive. It's like, here's what you're getting for Christmas. Come on now. The territory of Dan is in the extreme north, right next to Syria, by the way. Its boundary line follows the Hethlon Road to Lebo and then runs to Hazar on the border of Damascus. With Hamath to the north, Dan's territory extends all the way across the land of Israel from east to west. Now, Asher's territory lies south of Dan. These are all Jacob's kids. It also extends from east to west. Naphtali land lies south of Asher, also extending from east to west. Then comes Manasseh south to Naphtali, and its territory also extends east to west. South of Manasseh is Ephraim, then Reuben, then Judah, And all those boundaries extend from the east to the west. I want you to check out this video. You ready, Dion? So, Tasha, you might think we're in Colorado right now. But we're in the northern part of Israel, Tel Dan. The land of milk and honey. Now, couldn't you imagine that in Colorado? I mean, a variety of places. I I did not realize that northern Israel would look like our state when we're getting water, right? Look at this picture. You could see this pretty much anywhere in Colorado, right? I've gone camping a myriad of places, and as I walked through this, I was like, wow, this is just so beautiful. And then look at this, this one last picture. We walked across this footbridge. This water was just pristine. Just beautiful. It reminds me of like Rocky Mountain National Park, Estes Park, like you'd see this in a myriad of places. Just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And this is, this is the, one of the fertile, fertile, fertility-wise or fertile-wise of the soil. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful places uh, in Colorado. I will tell you that I was in the Negev, the southern part, Beersheba. I had one of the best cheeseburgers I've ever eaten in my life in Beersheba, so... If you're ever there, be sure and have the cheeseburger. Uh, it was quite delightful. Now, look, look at verse 8. South of Judah is the land set aside for a special purpose. It will be eight and one-third miles wide and will extend as far east and west as the tribal territories of the temple at the center. Watch these two videos of the temple. 
I flip the camera and I'll do a 360 to the east through these gates is the you know, Mount of Olives and then the old city and you can see the dome and across down into the southern into the city of David. One thing that I do find uh, somewhat uh, refreshing here in the old city, whether it's Muslims, Jews, or Christians, is that throughout the day you can see these gentlemen down here, they're studying the, um, the Quran. You can see that same thing throughout the city. And it's pretty refreshing to be in an environment where the study of God's Word is more the focus than, say, culture or human traditions devoid of any sense of religion. So, very different environment than the United States. Um, certainly, it doesn't come without its issues and challenges. There's a continual battle that takes place here. Jesus prayed John 17, 23, and unfortunately, this place is anything but that. So certainly there's still much more work to be done in the name of Jesus. That, that is the Temple Mount. It's like its own city. It's massive. And you realize that Jews cannot even go on that. That's why we have the Wailing Wall because they have to come up to the wall. We as Gentiles can go on uh, the Temple Mount uh, I spent a whole day there reading the four Gospels. And I want you to look at these other two pictures of just to give you just some snapshots. Uh, some believe that, that Jesus may have gone into something like this and turned over the tables. Um, when he came into the temple, there were these places like this. And uh, you see all of these different groups. They're all studying. These are all Muslims, by the way. Uh, and just recently... Uh, women were allowed to study the Quran on the Temple Mount. That is a new change uh, in the Muslim tradition. But this is every day this is taking place uh, during the, I believe it was, Matt uh, Erlin was asking, I believe during the Six-Day War is when it was declared that Jews were not allowed uh, on the Temple Mount, but I'm not exactly sure about that. But this is a real place. And I wanted to show you this because here we are thousands of years ago being given these promises, these boundaries, these divisions, and we're still dealing with this today. And Jesus is the linchpin for all of this. And you're not just committing yourself to some fairy tale, okay? This is historical this is factual. Now, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yes, that is greater than historical and factual, but it is also historical and factual. And I want you to understand that there is going to be a great war on this earth one day. And Jesus is going to lead that war. And Jesus is going to win that war war. Amen? 
And yes, let's give the Lord a hand because he, he is the champion. And you wonder why you are in such a battle because it is real and it will culminate one day. And I want to encourage you, choose a team, any team, but you can't choose every team. Pick one. I mean, I, I like to affectionately say when a fan says my other team, I got no respect for you, all right? If you got more than one team, there's something wrong, all right? I don't want to talk to you. I don't have no respect for you. And whether it's in sports or in spirituality, pick a team. And I want to encourage you, pick team Jesus. Be on his team. Go study, which I have. I've read, the, I've read the teachings of Buddha. I've read the Book of Mormon. Uh, I've read uh, parts of the Quran. I've studied the life of Muhammad. And let me just tell you something. None of them stand up to the resume of Jesus. No other religion in the world has a God who died for its people. Jesus stands alone. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you don't want a God who loved you enough to die for you, then pick another religion than Christianity. That's right. And God even says, you made them out of wood. God says, that I created. That's my favorite part. Amen. Look at verse 9. The area set aside for the Lord's temple will be eight and three-quarter miles, six and two-third miles wide. I mean, it's big. The priest there will be a, a strip of land measuring eight and one-third by three and one-third with the Lord's temple at the center, this area set aside for the ordained priests, the descendants of Zadok, who served me faithfully, didn't go astray with the people of Israel and the rest of the Levites. It'll be their special portion when the land is distributed. The most sacred land of all next to the priest's territory will lie the land where the other Levites will live. So who is Zadok? Zadok was the high priest that served under David and Solomon. And he was instrumental, he played a vital role in overthrowing Absalom's rebellion, which Absalom was David's son, and he tried to kill his own dad and overthrow him. He also was vital in bringing Solomon to the throne after David's departure. Yes, he was a background character that played a vital role. See, sometimes we look at our lives... And we go, in movies they call them foil characters. But do you understand that in God's kingdom, even foil characters are vital to the conclusion of God's story. There are no unvital people in the kingdom of God. Every person who claims the name of Jesus plays a vital role 
in the moving forward of the pericope of the story of Jesus Christ and the ultimate redemption of humanity. You do. And you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And what's, what's beautiful is that there were 171 women in this room. And Mindy, you shared your story. And now God is going to take that and multiply that in 171 people's lives because you decided to be faithful and give him glory for the story of your life. Amen. Can we give Mindy a hand? Amen. See, this is not about one or two people. This is about everybody. This is about everybody. I've known Crystal's story, and Crystal will probably be here in the 11 o'clock service. I've known Crystal's story for years now, and she stepped up and she shared, and now God multiplies that into 171 other people's lives. If you choose to make yourself available to God, your life will be far more important than you could ever imagine. And listen, people can say whatever they want about you. But when you pass from this life to the next, the words that God is going to speak to you face to face, those are the ones that will matter most. Amen? Come on, amen? Let's live for those. Look at verse 13. The land allotted to the Levites will be the same size, shape as that belonging to the priest, eight and one-third, three and one-third. Together these portions will measure eight and a third and six and two-thirds. None of this special land may ever be sold or traded or used by others. For it belongs to the Lord, it is set apart as holy. So how is the God of the Bible the God of our future? Number three, he has special blessings for we who serve uniquely and faithfully. He has special blessings for we who serve uniquely and faithfully. And uniquely doesn't mean just publicly. Uniquely and faithfully is simply, I will do what God has asked me to do. I will continue to do it regardless of whether I get a thank you, praise, or public acknowledgement for having done it. Look at Matthew 25, 23. The master said, this is Jesus, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities Let's celebrate together. Mindy, because you were faithful with your life, God gave to you more opportunity to be faithful in other people's lives, right? And see, you say, well, you know, the enemy, he never attacks me. Okay, well, you're probably not in the game. You ever noticed in an NBA game, college game, they don't guard the people sitting on the bench. Because they're not doing anything. Right, Sam? But the moment you get in the game, oh, somebody's going to guard you. Somebody's going to foul you. Somebody's going to try to stop you from scoring for the kingdom of God. So if you do not feel any resistance, you're on the bench. 
Get in the game. And when you get in the game, you'll feel the resistance. And that resistance, you ready? Is great evidence that what you believe is true. Amen? The battle's real. The battle's real. I sometimes say to the Lord, no, I don't, I don't think so. Because I know if I do, I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. And I don't want the something to happen. So I'll just stay on the bench. I'm enjoying the game. I'm enjoying watching other people play the game. They're really good at it. They're better at it than me. And then all of a sudden the horn blows and the coach says, get in the game, Tony. Get in the game, Kurt. Get in the game. Well, I don't want to get in the game. Somebody's going to foul me. I'm going to get an injury. It's going to cost me something. Yes, get in the game. Verse 15, an additional strip of land, eight and a third, one and two thirds, south of the sacred temple area will be allotted for public use. Homes, pasture lands, common lands, or the city of the center. The city will measure one and a half on each side. Open lands will surround the city. Outside the city, there'll be a farming area. That stretches three and one-third, three and one-third along the border. This farmland will produce food for the people working in the city. Those who come from the various tribes to work in the city may farm it. This entire area, including the sacred lands, the city is a square that measures eight and a third on each side. So here's a couple of things to know about the millennial eternal kingdom because that's what he's talking about here. There's going to be farmland that's going to produce, and people are going to work it. See, work is not a part of the curse. You say, no, no. Now, working by the sweat of your brow, that is a part of the curse. But work was actually supposed to be one of the most satisfying things about God's creation our usefulness, our abilities put into practice, seeing ourselves producing something. God wanted us to emulate him, and he wanted us to be creators, tenders, cultivators. So look at 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Well, that's a tough verse, isn't it? You know, our society could use a good dose of that right now. Amen? And, and I don't want to go too far, but I was watching CNN, so it has to be true, all right? And this, this woman in San Francisco, it was a documentary on, on, on currently on, on San Francisco. And I don't know if you've ever been there, beautiful city. Got a lot of Norwegian influence, kind of reminded me of Oslo, Norway when I was there. They have 8,000 homeless people living in the confines of San Francisco now, okay? Now, in our city, the police department tells me that 80% of the funds that are available for the homeless are underutilized. And we have an epidemic of homelessness, drug usage, and mental health in our country now. 
and we're going to have to do something about it. We're going to have to be intentional about doing something about it. And right now in San Francisco, this woman said, I've been looking for my son and I can't find him. He's, he is a drug user and I cannot find him. I don't know where he's at. And they asked her a question. They said, do you believe, I'm going to get a little divisive now, you ready? Do you believe that the liberals have destroyed this city? This is what she said. I am a liberal and I believe the liberals have destroyed this city because we no longer follow the laws of our city thinking that if we just let people do what they want, it'll all go great. Well, do you know where the cities learned it from? The churches. Because we have churches in America and as long as we just love people and let them do whatever they want, it'll all go okay. So our country is just following the lead of our churches. At some point, we have to step up and say, we have a responsibility, holy sandpaper, to say some things are not okay. They're not okay. And there are order and ways in which God wants us to go about things. Do you understand that in San Francisco in the next two years, they will spend $1 billion to take care of 8,000 tents that reside on the sidewalks of their city. $1 billion. $1 billion. And they ask a guy, why, why did you come here? He said, because of the subsidies, because I can do drugs freely, and there's no one going to stop me. Okay? These are grown people. These are grown people destroying their lives. And we as a nation, we as churches have to say, you know what? God has called us to live differently. How we live matters. Now listen to me. I'm not perfect. I haven't had a day of perfection yet. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about always doing it right. I'm talking about remembering where the plumb line is of what God said is right and what God said is wrong. And our nation needs a heavy dose of it right now. Amen? Amen. So number four, I told you I'd be a little divisive there, sorry. He blesses us when we work. He blesses us when we work. Go to work. Work. Do work. It's a good thing. You go, I don't like my job. Then work and get a different one. Verse 21. The areas that remain to the east and to the west of the sacred lands in the city will belong to the prince. Each of these areas will be eight and a third, extending in opposite directions the eastern and western borders with the sacred lands and the sanctuary of the temple. So the prince land will include everything between the territories allotted to Judah and Benjamin except for the areas set aside for the sacred lands. Verse 23, these are the territories allotted to the rest of the tribes. Benjamin's territory lies just south of the prince, prince's land, and it extends across the entire land of Israel from east to west, south of Benjamin, also extending across the land east and west. Next is the territory of Issachar. Then comes Zebulun, the territory of Gad, the southern border of Gad, 
runs from Tamar to the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, and then follows the brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. These, catch this, these are the allotments that will be set aside for each tribe's exclusive possession. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So how is the God of the Bible the God of our future? He has special and specific blessings for each of us. He has special and specific blessings for the each of us. Now, let me say this. Do not let someone make you feel guilty because of how God has blessed your life. Do not let someone make you feel guilty because God has blessed you in a way that he has not blessed them. Because in essence, if someone is jealous of what you have, it's because they're angry at God about what they don't have. And they need to take that up with him. Does that make sense? So what God gives you, and by the way, it doesn't matter how much he gives you, you're going to wish he'd give you more. Or if it's not more, you're going to wish he gave you what he gave somebody else. Well, I'll give that back if you just give me what you gave them. Just take what he gives you and enjoy it. And don't feel bad about it. And love it. And live it. You know, when people walk on my farm, they say, oh, this is amazing. I go, yeah, it's got all the blessings and all the curses. And I deal with every one of them. I'm dealing with one of the curses right now, all right? So just enjoy your life. Enjoy what God gives you. And don't feel bad about what he's entrusted to you. And don't always be rubbernecking, looking around at how jealous you are of what he's given to somebody else, what he hasn't given to you. Just enjoy what he's given you. Because here's the thing. If you keep looking around wishing that he gave you what he gave somebody else, you'll never enjoy what he gave you. And you ready? And if you don't enjoy what he gave you, he'll take it from you and give it to somebody else. That's what the Bible teaches. You say, really? Yeah, the five, three, and one, the guy with the one. He didn't want to do anything with it, so God took it away from him and gave it to somebody else. So look at this last part. These will be the exits to the city. On the north wall, which is one and a half mile, there will be three gates, each one named after a tribe. The first will be named for Reuben, second Judah, third Levi. On the east wall, the same will be the case. The gates will be named Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan. The south wall, also one and a half, will have gates named for Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun. On the west wall, there will be Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. The distance around the entire city is going to be six miles. And from that day, the name of the city will be, somebody say it, the Lord is here. He's here. Now look at Revelation 21. Because what Ezekiel paints in the Old Testament, John the Revelator paints again at the very end of the book of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had, had disappeared. The sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from the God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He's going to live with them. They're going to be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can't wait. There'll be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. All these things are gone. For how long? Forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. 
Then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus talking, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I'll be their God. They'll be my people, my children. The city wall was bored and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. See, did you see that? He just tied the Old Testament into the New Testament. The 12 tribes, the 12 apostles. Beautiful. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate for a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold. Do you get this? The stuff we worship here will be pavement there. Do you get it? We'll walk on it there. We worship it here. We'll walk on it there. Wow. So no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, are its temple. The city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter in the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed. Isn't that cool? No more fear. At the end of the day, because there's no night there, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor in the city, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So how's the God of the Bible, the God of our future? Number six, he promises. He promises, remember? And if he promises, he's going to do it. He promises a perfect, eternal home for all who believe in Jesus. promises. See, Jesus is not just the God of our future. He's the God of our eternal future. You will live forever somewhere. You say, well, who'll get to decide? You do. Your decision to choose Jesus will determine whether you spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. I didn't write the Bible. I only teach the Bible. None of this is my idea. I didn't come here with a new truth. I came here with God's Word. And this is what God's Word says. And that is why your witness and your testimony is so vital to the kingdom because human beings need to hear about the Jesus that lives inside of you. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.